There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic. My name is Mark Spencer and I'm the publisher of the Climactic Collective, the podcast network by and for the climate community. Now, I know I use the phrase, this is a very special episode, way too often. But this time I really do mean it. This episode is not one from Climactic, it's not one from our network, it's not one from Australia, which is the bulk of our content. This is a podcast episode all the way from Ohio in the US. And the show this episode is from is called Going There. Taboo topics are back on the table. Now, this is a chat panel show, it's a lot of fun, and what the three main hosts do, Matt, LeJohn, and Joe, is break down and address some of those topics you don't want to come up while you're sitting at the dinner table with your family. They've talked about topics like infertility, sex work, social housing policy, a lot of things that can be really hard to talk about. So what they do on the show is make it okay to talk about these things, add a lot of levity and humor, but also a really good grounding in good sense and compassion. You won't find glib remarks or cynicism or blue humor here. This is a respectful look at difficult topics, but in a fun, appealing way. And that's why I was so happy to find out about this show when they kindly reached out to me to ask me to come on to talk about climate. Now, I'm by no means a subject matter expert in climate change. I'm not a scientist, but I have spent now over three years with this show talking to people about climate change. So one thing I think I've gotten okay at is how to contextualize the climate crisis, how to bring it up in conversation, how to explain it, how to make this big, difficult thing able to be talked about in everyday life. And I think I did a decent job on this episode, or at least I had a lot of fun doing it. So I'm really happy to be sharing this with you today because this is not my work. This is all the work of Matt, the main host of this show, He's an amazing editor, he's a professional filmmaker by way of a living, and his editing job on this was amazing. There's more to the episode than what you're going to hear just now, so to find the whole episode and to subscribe to Going There, just follow the link at the top of the show notes. It'll be literally the first thing in the show notes. Or head to goingtherepodcast.libsyn.com. The full-length episode has an additional interview with a young man from India, a student activist named Yash. You're going to love it. Check it out and subscribe to Going There. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up. (laughs) I'm going to hand it over to Going There. You do a great job setting up this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. So I'll catch you again in just a few minutes. Psst. Hey, the following podcast contains adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised.
you better get comfortable. Because now we're going there. Taboo topics are back on the table. Damn, it's hot in here. I'm LeJohn. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is the Going There podcast. Today, what we're going to talk about should not be a taboo topic. No kind of science should be, but especially when it comes to the thing that we are witnessing on a daily basis, which is climate change. So I was doing some research leading up to this. According to NASA, the vital signs of the planet going through these catastrophic changes in simple bullet-pointed data kind of looks like this. Carbon dioxide levels in the air continually rise. They're currently at their highest in over 650,000 years. That's where we're at, just right now. Uh, 19 of the warmest years have occurred since the year 2000. Think about that. 19 of the warmest years just in the last 21 years, 20 years. We've risen 2.1 degrees Fahrenheit globally since 1880. Now, while that doesn't sound like a lot, that's huge when you're talking about the impacts that it has on the global temperature in a fragile ecosystem of ice sheets, sea levels, droughts, those kinds of things. The Arctic ice is melting at 13.1% by decade. 13.1%. This is a finite amount of ice sheets that we have. They're losing 429 billion metric tons per year. And then the sea level is rising at 3.3 millimeters per year. So some of our favorite places to go visit by the shore aren't going to exist in the future. There's so many problems. And those numbers, those are all scary things. And they should be scary. But what we're talking about isn't all about the fear factor. Yes, fear is why people deny these things. You know, if I can put it out of mind and pretend it's not real, maybe it won't be. When something's too scary, we put it out of mind until it's too late. So let's talk for a moment about climate change, where your heads are at, and why you think people deny it. It's simple for me, man. I'm the type of dude that has no problem admitting what I don't know. And I'm not super knowledgeable on this stuff. Meanwhile, there are people who have spent their lives researching this. And who am I not to trust their work and their science and their and their results? So therefore, if you say that this ball is getting hotter based upon the years of research that you've done, well, shit, the ball's getting hotter. And we need to do something about it. And now I'm in the position of what can I do as myself as an individual to decrease the temperature. That's that's where I stand. I just don't understand the folks that without any kind of education, without any kind of knowledge, without any kind of experience. Oh, no, that's not true. That's bullshit. Well, well how? how? How is that possible? Based upon what? And, and I'm not going to sit here and say it's bullshit to somebody who's been studying this stuff for years and making it their life work. No, that's just dumb. We got a hot ball, y'all, and we got to cool this ball down. But he's hoping that they're cold blue balls. <laughs> <laughs> how do we blue ball Mother Earth? <laughs> Joe, how about you? What are, have you ever been a denier? Have you ever been one no. of the people? No. <laughs> no, I don't understand that. If you don't want to admit something because it's uncomfortable or inconvenient, that's. I think that that is what is going on, really. And... Uh, anybody who's denying any of the science, why, why would a scientist try to like lie about how the ice caps are melting? Who stands to benefit from that? Right. From that big hoax. Is there a company that like is a container company that's like, oh, we're going to benefit from <laughs> They're going to have to put all these melted ice caps somewhere, make them think they need to buy buckets, yeah. buckets to fill uh, the melted ice caps. 
No, I don't know. I mean, I've always believed it. Ever since I was a kid, I was always trying to help. Yeah, I mean, that's that's good. I wish I could say the same. I think I at one point fell into denial, but I would say it was more kind of political and kind of the environment I was raised in where I was told, you know, you don't want to believe this. The Democrats are lying about X, Y, or Z. But then you really look at the effects of it. Like, think about the amount of deforestation we've seen on the planet. Each tree that exists absorbs carbon dioxide. And think about all the trees that we've cut down and not the ones that have been replanted. Think about the rainforest. That adds up. Man, that adds up so fast. Well, yeah, I guess you should, if you're trying to convince people who don't believe it because of like a political thing, just call trees dollars. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) pretty much. You got rid of so many dollars. Yeah. Your bank is empty. Like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) We have to to replenish the bank. (laughs) It's all about money. Absolutely. You know, it was kind of like Rick Santorum, I think, made a comment the other day where he's essentially admitting to the Native American genocide and saying like, well, I mean, they, they their culture doesn't impact us. And I think it's kind of like that. It's like, well, what were these trees doing? They were just standing around. Who gives a shit about them? They have nothing to do with our current culture. You know, people would be like, they're getting in the way of progress. Dude, this is not progress. Like it might be short term, but that's not how you that's not even how you win the game of monopoly. <laughs> right. If you look at Singapore, they've done a wonderful job of incorporating um plant life with all of their buildings. You know, so you can still have a thriving city economy and still have a very green city too, like rooftop gardens and But the con- the, the continuous problem is and 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 we'll touch on this more, I'm certain, it's somebody else's problem. It's the future's problem. And that's why shit isn't getting done. And because you got a whole bunch of people who are in power who say to themselves, me and mine are cool. And as long as me and mine are cool for the right now, who is who gives a damn about the future? And that's where that's that's the bullshit. Yeah, it's the bullshit. And I think it's like the human way, Um, because so many of our problems can be fixed if it was a collective effort and if it was like a looking outside of yourself. But as soon as you and I say the royal you. As soon as somebody can get out of those that that situation and they're able to like stay safe themselves, then they're like, well, well, I don't want to give up all of this because I could lose it all and I'm and I'm safe right now. So then they stay safe, and then the problem just perpetuates, and that's why we don't have single payer health care or and a planet that's got hot hot balls. <laughs> <laughs> Even the people who will say or at least think to themselves, well, I'm rich and therefore my kids will be rich and they'll be fine. They have to realize that money at some point will mean nothing, right? That money isn't going to save their children, isn't going to put oxygen that no longer exists into their lungs. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, it'll get you something. It'll get you like for $2,000, you'll get like that rusty can of tuna fish or something that everyone's fighting over at the Aldi's. (laughs) That closed down a decade ago. When those super rich kids get carted off into space to try to live on another planet, I mean, their money will maybe will buy them a nicer spot on the spaceship. But you better believe when they land on that new planet, none of that shit's going to matter. Money will have no meaning anymore. True. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Crypto. Crypto. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The aliens are like, you guys are still using Dogecoin. (laughs) So 
These are all great questions and conversations. And today we have an awesome show for you from a few different lenses uh, and people from around the world. We tend to view our problems and especially this one from the standpoint of America. You know, we always look at it as, well, this is America's thing to handle. No, I mean, we're a small part of the bigger problem in, let's say, context to China and some of these other countries. So what we need to do is try to look at how we can help, but stop seeing everything through the viewpoint of America and, and especially capitalism. So for better or worse, it isn't all about us. Our first guest on this topic is joining us from New Zealand. He's a podcaster and a podcast addict who's had a hand in a variety of shows and whose interest is very much on the topic of global warming and climate change. And he hosts his own series, Climactic. Mark Spencer, thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you, Matt. Great to be here. Sorry about the lack of Kiwi accent. I know. I would, you know, I'm like, oh, he's from New Zealand. Then I hear him. I'm like, he just sounds like a boring white dude from Ohio. <laughs> Damn straight. Now, this is what you get when you take a Seattleite out of New Zealand for most of his life. You get a past its best buy Seattle accent <laughs> and you combine it with New Zealand and you basically get Vancouver. That's how the math works. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Um, so in, in a nutshell, uh, you said it the the most most accurate part why I'm here today is is I'm a podcast addict. Um, I was a homeschooled only child growing up in rural. I uh, say Seattle because it was the nearest uh, landmark, but I still had cows, you know, neighbors. So I was yeah homeschooled, which led to these lovely social graces. I I grew up with headphones in my ears all day and night, and I started off with a political talk radio. Was a Rush Limbaugh listener as a kid. Oh wow! Went through a bit of a political change later in life. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh yeah, yeah. Is is he now officially a saint? I'm waiting for a school and a church and a hospital to be named after him. Maybe it can be a methadone clinic. Too soon? Don't care. So um, I found podcasts when I was about 12. They were uh, pretty new at that point. I was doing like the downloading MP3 files and putting them on my kidney bean-shaped Rio MP3 player, which could hold 20 songs or one half of one episode of Rush Limbaugh. So that was great. Uh, so yeah, podcast really sort of took over. I was going back and forth from the US to New Zealand every year uh, at that stage. So kind of podcast is why I kept the accent, I think. You said you kept your American accent because of podcasts? I think so, yeah. Okay. And, and it was very hard in New Zealand to actually say my name right. So you got, guys can say Mark, okay? Here I have to say Mac and sound like a sheep. So <laughs> that would didn't appeal. Really? It's like very Boston. Yeah, I was, I was thinking it's like it's Boston S. Yeah, yeah, no, no R's. And weren't you in Australia for some period of time? Yeah, so like all Kiwis, uh, I'm just gonna keep saying it so you believe it that I, I am in New Zealand and I'm a Kiwi under that. Like like all New I Zealanders, Kiwis. Mm -hmm. um, I went on my overseas experience, my OE, when I was uh, 22. Uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I went to Australia, as most Kiwis tend to do for the broader horizons and, and bigger skylines and better pay. Um, it doesn't pay very well living in paradise, it seems. Sure. Like you can't get, yeah. It's weird how that's related. Is real estate expensive there? Oh my God. Yeah, no, I've come back into a hellscape of Auckland where it's like, here's the worst house in the suburb and you ask for the the cheapest house, right? So this one's $1.4 million. Wow. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, the secret's out that you know, I say New Zealand and you guys say oh nice not 
where? (laughs) There's a lot more demand than supply these days. Right. Uh, We've got Shania Twain, who bought an island between our North and South Island. That don't impress me much. (laughs) (laughs) How about if she had a private rocket pad? Because that's probably on the way. Those damn hobbits, man. Ever since they filmed them over in your backyard, screwed everything up. This is true. What's your show about? So my show, Climactic, is to, to fill a gap. There's now 1.7, 1.8 million podcasts. But I found a huge gap when I was looking for shows about climate change in Australia, particularly, uh, that talked to normal people about how they were engaging with climate and how what they were doing about it, but also how they were feeling, how they're kind of getting through the existential terror spirals that, that start when you get engaged with the enormity of climate change. So my show is about uh, normal people, what they do about climate change, how they feel about it, how they get through. And and as we kind of speak to, hopefully in the title a bit, it's it's about climate, but it's also about just these somewhat climactic feeling times that, you know, whether you, wherever you stand, you kind of know that there's, um we're at the culmination of a lot of things at the moment. You know, the industrial revolution, we're all talking about the next revolution of work and, and whatever the economy is going to look like. But then a lot of us know that we're at some environmental limits here as well. So whatever way you slice it, we're at, yeah, final times for what was before, and we don't know what happens next. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of people see the unknown as fear. Like, that's our instinct sometimes. Mm -hmm. We're fearful of it. Let's be honest. It's scary as shit when you actually learn the science. But I think it's great that you approach it from a... Hey, listen, we're just regular people talking about this. Let's talk about it in regular terms. You told me a story on the phone the other day. What really triggered your passion for wanting to make this a topic of conversation in general? Yeah, it was it was feeling feeling alone in this space. And the reason why I felt alone was I came into the climate community. Like I've heard it said, you know, climate movement, and I'm not really comfortable with that because I don't feel like really part of a movement. I'm a very, you know, you had it right. I'm a you know, normal, boring sounding white dude from a pretty privileged middle class background. Um, <laughs> I'm not a warrior in any, t- you know, happy or otherwise. Um, I think you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> and you're mine, Matt. <laughs> so the, the biggest impediment to talking about this topic is that we all know how big the world is. We, we know how just vast the world is. And you travel, you know, 1,500, 2,000 miles on a plane. You're like, wow, how could, how could we human individuals ever change this massive thing? Like, it's, it's insane to think about. And that's what, like, my dad always comes back to. He's like, the, the hubris, Mark, and, and your generation have of thinking that, you know, we could change this world. I spent two years in a place where the evidence was unarguable that we'd changed the world and and not for the better. So I was living in a small uh, city called Shuzhou, which is in a province called Jiangsu, which is kind of like China's Ohio. It's um it's industrialized, but it's kind of post-industrial. Like wherever you go, there's hilltops that used to have tops to the hills, but they've now been like, you know, hilltop uh, mining. So they've cut off the top of the hills and, and quarried down. And if you walk to the top of these hills, you look down into like it looks like a volcano pit, but it's just been just sucked clean of iron ore, coal. Wow. Um, and so the city I was in, which was a small city of six million, a small city of <laughs> six million. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and in the heart of this city, 
what was demonstrated by the effects of our impact on this, whether or not your dad believes you and I can. What was that? <laughs> yeah, this what what happened after this level of industrialization, funnily enough, wasn't a, a happy homeostasis with nature. It was um like something out of a Mad Max film or or pick your apocalyptic movie of choice. You had multiple coal power plants right in the middle of the city that were operating. You had coal dust over everything. You had uh, everyone wearing masks all the time, just, you know, day or night, you know, any time of the season as well. Because I saw little kids coughing up black phlegm from the time they were three years old. It's just a normal thing there. Jesus. This kind of just devastation of like, look, the Chinese economic miracle sure, certainly has lifted hundreds of millions of people out of poverty, but it hasn't exactly given them blue skies and there there was parks you could go to in the city to see green grass but you were not allowed to walk on it there were signs up do, do not walk on the grass and guards actively wow if you stood on that grass they would come and tell you to get off of it damn i'll never look at my lawn the same yeah no. <laughs> no, like for real like, <laughs> you, you're like i could never cut you <laughs> <laughs> just grow <laughs> That's scary, man. You know, they keep talking about, we need to go back to coal. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so easy to understand as a thing, right? It's, uh, well, actually, so here's a thought experiment, right? Like, so coal, it's, you can explain it to anyone, right? Here's a black lump, like huge, high calorific content. It's got a lot of energy in it. You put it in a boiler, it burns that burning boils water, you make steam, you can make stuff move with steam somehow. That's still like a little steampunky to me. I don't understand how that works. <laughs> and yet, like, the idea of, like, powering something from the sun. So I've got this whole thing, as soon as I got into climate change, where it's like, do you guys who are burning coal, do you ever stop and think for a second, what is coal? It's a hundred millions of years old fossilized trees? Like, why, why do you think that that belongs in today's environment or today's atmosphere like ha the, the equation here doesn't make sense if you're literally mining our deep history to burn to introduce in today's atmosphere Th the chemistry here is not going to balance out very well yeah it's like you need to keep warm so you get like your social security card and passport to burn in the fire <laughs> precisely yeah it's not that helpful have you thought about burning money yeah. <laughs> So here's here's where my mindset was at one point is I was willing to agree with certain amounts of science, but then there was that disconnect at a certain point. So if somebody mm. – I remember because I took a class on this and somebody asked me, well, do you believe or do you agree that the burning of fossil fuels is harmful to our environment? Well, yeah, of course. Well, do you believe that when you do that, it releases – greenhouse gases, which have a major impact on our environment, and, and they get trapped down below and the, the Earth's surface heats up. Well, yeah. Well, so then do you believe that what we've been doing for these decades, and especially during the Industrial Revolution, that we've heard it? And it's like, no, because the climate always changes. We go through these phases. You know, it's just moody right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's on its period. Yeah, just let it chill. Yeah. Man. And the thing is, and I think a lot of people will agree with the science up to a point, and then it's like, no, but. But we actually knew in the 70s that this was bad, and uh, the information has been suppressed, and big businesses have known, but we're, like, trying to dismiss the fringe element who's concerned about 
the environment. And it's only until now when when there's just like no denying that it's happening that we're like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it was Exxon that knew about Exxon Mobil. And you know what? I knew that. I was going to say that, but yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be wrong oh, there. For some yeah, yeah. We don't want to slander the good people at Exxon. Right, yeah. right exactly. Yeah, the fine folks Rex, at Exxon. Rex, we love you. Yeah, yeah. Rex, <laughs> yeah. tell us and you're my boy. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, you know, the politicians and shit who don't have to worry about nothing, uh, their rap is, fuck it. I mean, I was, I'll yeah, be even, dead. Yeah, I'll be dead. And hell, even my children or grandchildren, let them worry about it because it doesn't affect me and mine. And if it does affect me and mine, we'll be fine because I'm a, you know, I'm a politician. I got it like that and everything will be cool. Somebody else's problem. That's the problem. Yes. You yeah. Know? I agree. I agree. Yeah. Because if it was something that they really like some of these people really thought was going to affect them in their lifetime, I think you would see a very different tune. Right. But it's like, screw it, I'll be dead. And my kids, they'll be rich. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this, Mark. Were you always a believer? Uh, it was always a background thing for me. So I definitely wasn't raised in any kind of, uh, I don't know, climate-engaged way. Uh, my entire childhood, I was flying back and forth from the U.S. to New Zealand every year, having two summers a year. That's not something you do if you're... Uh, your parents who are dragging you along for this are uh, very concerned about the emissions from flying. That's cool shit. Uh, no, if anything, no, they were actually very aware. No, no, we didn't even have two winters a year to escape the ravages of hotter summers. We were chasing sun um, in the process of making the world hotter. Yeah, no, I, 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 I had a very Rex Tillerson-esque childhood in, in hindsight. Um, no, not at all. So it was it was for me like, uh, you know, when when Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth came out, I heard about it and I was like, ah, oh, that sounds bad. And, and like you'll find it pretty much anyone who's involved now at some point they're like, that sounds bad. I'm sure someone will fix it. Man, <laughs> when I'm an adult, it'll be great to hear how that's fixed now. Just like Cue me throwing hole. garbage out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I made a jet airplane that runs solely on aerosol hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you always, you were at least open to the idea that there's the science behind it. So you weren't like a straight up denier because I denied it at one point. I, and I think part of it is fear is I didn't want to believe that this was true. And when Al Gore's film came out, I was like, this is a political move. He just wants attention. Man, bear, pig. Those, <laughs> me and the South Park guys are all in the same boat. We all ate our words eventually. We really did. So so Al, after starting, uh, after doing the film, started a group called the Climate Reality Project. And he's had, I think, about 60,000 people go through this training. And I got to go to it in, uh, in Brisbane, in Australia, in 2019. And yeah, he got very publicly asked a few times, like, so how did you feel about that South Park episode? And it was the most wry, <laughs> sardonic, shit-eating grin on his face when he was able to say, yeah, Trey and Matt called me <laughs> and said, sorry, Al. And it was wonderful. What arguments do you hear from the other side in your journey right now? It's a great question. I don't engage with climate deniers at this point because they are either so few and far between, I, I just literally don't in, encounter any, or it's people more like my father who are still, they are not uh, combative about their disbelief, but yeah. they're still, uh, they're not credulous, or they yeah. they don't want to be uh, engaged with about this. Are your parents in the U.S., or are they in New Zealand now? So actually, a funny little aside, um, so my wife and I have just moved back to New Zealand. We were in Christchurch, our second biggest city here in New Zealand, 
and we were about to get out of quarantine on April 3rd, and I get a call from my dad, just like the last week of March, he's meant to fly back to Seattle. He's he's going to leave the perfect COVID-free <laughs> island paradise in New Zealand and go back to Seattle, because uh, cause the days are getting shorter and cold, and he wants to go back there. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Um, he's like, I've changed my flight uh, to April 1st to go back to the States. I'm like, you're, you're literally going to miss us getting out of quarantine by by three days? He's like, yep. I'm like, this is not an April 1st joke. You're calling me to say you're flying back. <laughs> <laughs> nope, sure enough. So, um, yeah, so he's in the States right now. Oh, I, wow. I, I I feel exactly what you're saying, and there are some people with a lot of the topics we talk about, but my father, actually, specifically, who, even with the vaccine, they're saying, well, the mm-hmm. jury's still out on the science. I'm like, what jury of morons are you referring to? <laughs> Well, the two the jury squ- of my peers or your peers? Yeah, the two squirrels slinging shit at each other. Yes, the jury is out. You're right. And when it comes to climate change, it's the same kind of thing. And it's like, I don't know that you should be allowed to, I don't know, operate heavy machinery, own a house, do any of these things if you cannot. Like, do you believe in gravity? <laughs> Jump off the cliff. See if Jesus catches you. Whatever. Uh <laughs> that's what I hear a lot from people on the other side. It used to be straight up, oh, it, they're full of shit. Now it's, well, the jury's still out on that. See if Jesus catches you. <laughs> Here in Christ Church, if you jump off a cliff, <laughs> Jesus might catch you. Give it a shot. <laughs> oh, he wasn't the one. <laughs> he Move said, on. I'll catch you next time, brother. <laughs> If she drowns, she's not a witch. Yeah. Yeah. Lejon, every once in a while, we get Lejon with a good little one liner. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the science. I think Mm. because what I really enjoy, again, is that you look at it from the human element and kind of making it digestible on a, you know, person to person basis. But in your research and understanding of it, what does our future look like? Status quo. If we do nothing to ebb back our destruction of the earth. Thank you for the framing that as well. I wanted to say up front that like, you know, in no way am I a scientist on this at all. Um, I was very lucky to go and be trained, you know, to, you know, basically to give Al's slideshow. Sorry, Mr. Gore's slideshow. <laughs> so I work in like a customer support role in my, my day job, which is in podcasting and explaining how podcasting works is actually harder than explaining how climate change works. So I'm lucky there. That's our next episode. We got to figure that shit out finally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all changed as of last week. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the old metaphor for climate change is like, imagine the earth and it's got a blanket wrapped around it and the blanket is our atmosphere and we're making that blanket thicker or we're adding an extra blanket and we're retaining more heat. But that kind of leads itself to this, like we're a a frog in a pot of water and we're turning up the the dial on that pot and the, the flames are getting hotter. But the the process of the Earth getting hotter isn't a gradual one. It's not a uniform one. So what we're seeing now, you know, these polar vortexes across the northern hemisphere are happening down here in the southern hemisphere as well. We're seeing a weakening jet stream. We're basically seeing all the systems, like the Earth systems, that we've relied on in this period of real climate stability for tens of you know, a ten thousand year span. The whole of human history, essentially, uh, is changing. Those bonds are weakening. Those systems are are falling apart. A week ago, I woke up to read an article that a third of France's wine crop in the Normandy region was destroyed because of a late frost. It happened like two weeks after things started to warm up there, and then a late frost came through. 
destroyed everything. And you're just like, oh, that's just, that's our present, much less our future. So if you like Pacific Rim movies, congratulations. It's like kaiju attacks now all the bloody time. <laughs> Fuck, man. That's some frust- that, that is some frustrating shit because, all right, smoking cigarettes is bad for you. If you keep on smoking cigarettes, chances are you'll develop these type of cancers and everything as a result of from smoking cigarettes. If you're 30 years old and you get the effects of smoking cigarettes, the bad effects, the cancers and everything else, then you're like, damn, I was young and I got fucked up from smoking cigarettes. If you're 70, it's like, ah, I fucking live my life, whatever. It's cool. I don't give a fuck. Is there any hope? Because what can we do to let us know that, listen, this is a fucking problem right now. And we need to be taking care of it right now and not for our children. Oh, they'll take care of it. They'll be fine. Our grandchildren, oh, they take care of it. They'll be fine, whatever. If you can't convince that smoker, listen, man, this is a problem right now. Mm-hmm. Can, is there any convincing us that this shit needs to be handled right now? That's a really good metaphor to use, the smoking example. Like we've had the warnings on the cigarette packets now for, as you say, we've, we've, we've known for 50 years. We've, we've actually known since the 1850s. Like we know what CO2 did 150 years ago. The warnings have been there on society. They've just not been loud enough. They haven't been proactive. It's like, it's like the state governor being like, okay, so I know cigarettes are bad, right? But we get a lot of tax revenue from selling cigarettes because we slapped some taxes on it. So I'm not going to ban cigarettes, but I'm just going to insist, you know, as the public outcry increases, we'll have a black and white warning label, and then we'll have a color one, and then it's going to be super bloody graphic. And and over time, less and less people will smoke, but we're keeping up our amount of tax revenue, and it'll we'll be able to help out the people who've been affected. But this is, you know... This is the planet that's been smoking cigarettes, not not us. I was going to say it's it it's not. I decide to smoke cigarettes and and live with the consequences. It's I'm going to smoke cigarettes and then throw the still lit cigarette at your house and burn it down. <laughs> that's a strong cigarette. It might be a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably familiar with like what happened in Flint, Michigan. It wasn't that mm-hmm. they didn't have the information; is that they did everything to stop people from finding out. Because we can talk about politics all day, but it's what runs politics, which is. Money. Yep. Which money is green, so you would think that they would be green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, China's uh, 100 renminbi, 100 yuan note is red. And so they've got all these rap songs now about, you know, that red money and like the stacks <laughs> of like red bills. But at least it's honest. You know, it's yeah. blood money. Yeah. But, you know, I- I'd love to just quickly speak to LeJohn's question about hope. And I'm like one of these kids, that, you know, was raised on sci fi and I love apocalyptic shit. And I'm always like, I'm a real pessimist of the head and an optimist at the heart, which is a thing you'll hear quite a bit in the mm-hmm. climate space where like, as soon as you start talking about the science, you're like, okay, yeah, things are bad. And that is so undeniable. And things are going to get worse. Yes. There's just baked in mechanisms now that like positive feedback loops, things will get worse. Well, I, I'm a realist about human adaptability. Mm-hmm. Like in any sci-fi story, right? Like, like water world looked pretty shit. And yet there's tons of people still living on, like, random rafts and stuff. Cause still smoking. <laughs> still smoking. Yeah, Dennis Hopper just, like, I'm not sure where he got his packs from. But not one wet a lot on cigarette. That yeah. <laughs> That's right. And so no matter how shit your, your settings is, there's still people there, right? And they might be, yeah. you know, savage, barbarian, fucked up people, but there's people. And we've had it hard <laughs> you know, I'll say one thing. Like, you know, maybe it's not like a racial thing. It's not a, like humans. 
the human race sometimes has had it hard. <laughs> Not yeah. anyone who looks like me lately, but like we've had it hard and we've gotten through. And I think, you know, my kids and kids' kids and stuff, if they're going to be barbaric raiders on the road, I, you know, more power to them. <laughs> what well, are some skills that <laughs> you are planning on teaching your future generations? Are you planning on teaching them like how to save the earth or how to live in the post-apocalyptic <laughs> situation? Both. How to swim, I yeah. think, should be number one. <laughs> I will tell my children, do not leave New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> this is where the bunkers are being built. Not yeah. to let that cat out of the bag, but... Um, they can go live in the Shire, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was really just a promotional campaign for our bunker industry. <laughs> so wait, tell me about the bunkers. Y'all over there in America have this nice cottage industry of uh, former missile silos being mm-hmm. turned into gated underground communities. Um, in New Zealand, we have no missile silos that anyone knows about, so probably. Um, but there is a bunch of yeah, sort of closed-off communities, places with... Uh, you know, streams, running water, uh, private solar farms being built that are essentially move over, you know, gated community of McMansions. You know, here's your gated community of off-the-grid, self-reliant farmsteads. Oh, cool. And those are currently being built and occupied here. And are those, um, are the people living there, like, residents of New Zealand, or are they, like, rich people from America and, like, Saudi Arabia coming in? Precisely, Oh, yes. great. <laughs> um, a great example, we've already talked about Shania Twain. I'm, I'm going to be on someone's hit list for saying how it is here in the 51st state. I'm glad we got to meet you first, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think New Zealand's going to beat Puerto Rico and D.C. to statehood by forcible annexation, if not you know, sure. voluntary means. Oh, wow. But we're basically like Vermont, Rhode Island, New Zealand. Just one, one if I can. We, we talked about Shania. You guys know about Peter Thiel in New Zealand? I know that he's a PayPal guy and the Venmo guy. He's now a New Zealand citizen as of a couple of years ago, despite not meeting the residency requirements. So that's fun that he bought <laughs> citizenship. Yeah, that's I cool. I think we got a school out of it, so that's cool. But like, we, we do teach like Bush survival skills in our schools. Oh, so sweet. That's good. So you guys are pro Second Amendment, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, like it was actually a huge thing down here that a lot of guns got taken away in a buyback after the, the Christchurch shooting a couple of years ago, the mosque and shooting. And that's the whole thing. Um, like New Zealand is on top of that shit. When stuff happens, we, we talk about the cause. Yeah. What about if a bear attacks your kids? You know that whole thing, but but you guys actually live in the wilderness in certain areas of the of the country, and you're still way more progressive than us somehow. Well, luckily, due to New Zealand's unique um, ecology and, and ecosystem, because we were like a little island st- stranded away from any other landmass for millennia, we don't have mammals natively here. We've only got birds. Wow! So like birds fill like every ecological niche, including a type of parrot that essentially acts as like a badger. I thought you had a marsupial. Don't you have marsupials? No, the only marsupials we've got were introduced from Australia, like the possum. Gotcha. And are mammals there now? Unfortunately so, and causing massive havoc and bedlam. Wow. Um, yeah, they're buying citizenship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vermin, rodents, yeah. So in New Zealand, you're like, you're experiencing all of the issues with climate change. Is that maybe why people there are a little more concerned than the people in America where we're just like shut in our houses looking at screens? That's a really good point that there probably is a, there's more awareness that the natural world around you can change than we are changing it because yes, we've seen it in New Zealand within the space of two generations. You know, an introduced species 
is is reshaping how the country looks and then like something invisible like greenhouse gas emissions we can see the effect and we can therefore understand the cause a bit better whereas i guess in america you guys have kind of you know the post-world war ii reality is pretty much the same as it is in 2020 in large parts of the country like the refineries were built the factories were built detroit was detroit for 80 years what I wanted to ask was, what can everybody do today, like starting now, to reduce our carbon footprint? We look at this, holy shit, this is an unsolvable problem. Yep. But no, it's not. There are some things that are irreversible, but there are things that if we just all did these simple minor things, holy shit, we could slow this down exponentially. So what can we all do? The, the biggest thing you can do in America is... Not to get all straight up political straight away, but um, it's it's support what's happening with this new administration. It is it's hugely important to the rest of the world to see that America is moving and not holding back movement on climate change. Don't be paralyzed in your own life by trying to be perfect or trying to do too much. Um, do not over-index on personal sustainability. I I've got many friends who are zero plastic, zero waste. Do they don't travel, and I love them but their impact on their community is minimal because everyone else looks at them like, how do you do it? And they're like, oh, it, it's a full-time job. I go everywhere with a bag full of containers and I am a forager <laughs> and I'm a freegan. I'll take you to all the best dumpsters. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Let's go to McDonald's. Um, like, don't, yeah, don't, don't like, n no one's personal circle is that big or that convincible that if you are, the Statue of Liberty for, for sustainability. If you were this beacon on a hill, uh, you're not on a hill. You're in a gully. And, like, vote for people and, like, get involved in other civic issues that are intersectional with climate. Racial justice is climate justice. Uh, the entire climate justice movement is so intertwined in, in every other facet of the world. And, like, if, and if we fix climate change within a generation or two... We can ruin it again. We can ruin it again. But yeah. cl climate is the result of humanity's inability to live well within our ecological bounds and also w well with each other. And if we don't get better at treating each other better, then we can't treat the world better. And we just have to kind of just like, like all, devote all your efforts, I guess, to like, yeah, helping each other do better in any little thing you can and do something you want to do. Gotcha. Straight, straight up. Yes or no. Do you have hope? Yes. I'll, I'll always believe that there is more good in the world than evil. Mm. So therefore, I want to believe that there's more people who are proactive towards this cause than those who are not. So I'm glad that you have hope because that gives me hope because I won't lie that I've been like, man, fuck this. I, what I'm doing isn't enough. And there's so many fools who aren't doing enough or anything at all. So how can this actually work? But for somebody who has so much knowledge and experience on it to say they have hope, that gives me hope. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and hope's contagious. Yes. You having hope gives me more hope. See, I'm a big believer in chaos theory. So while the science is there that we're screwed, I love the idea that you just don't know what might change and what might happen to get us out of this. But I, I, I will say this from my opinion, from what I've read. If I were to have kids starting this year, my grandchildren are either going to live in the Mad Max style world or have to move off planet. I just don't see a normal existence for that generation. Fuck you, Matt. We have hope. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't have hope. I said status quo. <laughs> My hope is that people will start to change their minds and hearts and go, holy shit, I have to look beyond myself because we've yep. been 
the me generation for too long. Oh, Lindsay really wants to say something. No, I, I, I just sit over here thinking because for me, this is what keeps me up at night. I get very dark when it gets later and later in the evening. I don't know why, but I feel like it's not only like a, a crisis to the, the world's existence and our existence as a species, but it's a mental health crisis because there's just so much unknown and the fact that we really have so little to control and... And I know you listened to our, our podcast on the infertility. It also then weighs on our ability to decide whether we're going to have children or not, because then there's that whole ethical thing that's like, are we going to bring another child into the world that is potentially dying? Right. And I I, I have hope. I think it, at the bottom of it, I have so much hope, but it's just it's so, so heavy. And there's such a responsibility if you actually enter into that space to think about it and to really think about what can we do to change. Uh, Lindsay, it's um, absolutely huge and real thing that, you know, this has been the year that we've realized that um, mental health, yeah, yeah, COVID has been a great kind of wake up call for a lot of us that we're a lot more fragile than we thought we were. So if any of this is affecting anyone, you know, please do speak to someone. And and the great thing about climate where is that, even a couple of years ago, if you went to see a psychologist and said, I'm really concerned that the earth is dying, they might be like, well, that's a delusion of grandeur kind of catastrophizing issue. Is is the earth in the room with us right now? I can't seem to get away from it. It follows me wherever I go. That's what Elon's trying to get away from, I guess. It's it's getting into the psychologist kind of the handbooks and like it's now diagnosable. Um, some psychologists know words like solastalgia, which is the... This, this sadness you feel at the passing of not people or not a generation, but but of an ecosystem, our ecosystem, the only one we know. And that's a real thing, because when you start looking at the endangered species list and the things that will never exist again, some of it is Darwin. You know, it's kind of like this was not meant to survive or it couldn't because of X, Y or Z, like the dinosaurs. And some of it is when you really look at it, oh, shit, this is all like within the last hundred mm-hmm. years. Like we did this. Like we as a species just out of selfishness, not out of malice, decided to act however we wanted mm-hmm. and killed this animal that we will never see again. Killed this crop that we could never see again. And now we're doing it to the entire planet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything more selfish. You know, somebody who's who's emotionally intelligent and healthy can say, my actions do this to you. Let's talk through that and figure out how I can fix it. Instead, we're in this abusive relationship where like Mother Earth has been using the uh, the safe word for the last <laughs> 45 minutes and we're still beating the shit <laughs> out of her. <laughs> That's a really good point. A lot of the environmental activists I know, people who are part of this group called Extinction Rebellion and others who, you know, lock themselves onto barrels to block traffic, who kind of who get mad at, at everyday people for being part of systems that are causing irrevocable damage. I I don't attribute malice to people just doing the most convenient thing. I think it's like that's getting mad at water for finding the easiest course to travel. Like, we do that as people. We conserve our energy by going for the easiest route. We go shopping and buy the cheapest thing. Like, it's... Things are changing. We have to be grateful for the beauty we get to experience that that future generations won't have, but they're also going to get a world where, wow, they're, they're actually going to be aware of this. They know that humans changed the entire earth in the past, and that means they have the power to change it again, which is somewhat powerful. 
That's a damn good point, man. That's 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 straight up power to the people for real. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. I the love thing that. Is we need to give them the opportunity to be able to make changes because there will come a point where some of these things cannot be undone. There are there's still still some things that we can do beyond just ebbing it back or slowing it down. But I hope that we get the chance to do that, LeJohn. I hope that your kids and their kids get a chance to do that and not be going, that goddamn LeJohn, Matt, those pieces of shit. <laughs> it really feels like we went there. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, hey. shit. <laughs> so uh, where can people find you and your content? Yeah, uh, well, I've actually sent through some links to some fantastic climate content that will make you smile, that will give you a laugh, because, uh, you know, climactic might not be it. it it's very, uh, it's climate change with an Australian accent, except for mine. Uh, so it's climactic, C-L-I-M-A-C-T-I-C dot F-M, or check out the other stuff, which might be in the show notes, which is like some really good climate comedy stuff, which does exist. And I know you like to, you know, deliver your uh, heartbreaking, uh, <laughs> head-cracking stuff with a dose of laughter whenever you can. Absolutely. So your listeners might appreciate it. I'm sure that climate change scientists have a great sense of humor because if you didn't, holy crap, how would you even make it? <laughs> uh, a lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> Sir, we cannot thank you enough, especially because uh, you're all the way in New Zealand at a big time change. So hopefully this was convenient enough for you time-wise. And hopefully you enjoyed it because I, I can tell you I learned a lot and uh, this was just such an important and awesome conversation. And thank you for doing what you do because you personalize an issue that so many people get scared away from because they don't feel smart enough or they feel like you're going to push politics on them. And that's that's not what it is. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate the opportunity. I, I meant when I said the fact that you have hope towards all this and with your your knowledge and experience in it all. That gives me hope, and and that that makes me. So I hope you weren't lying. (laughs) (laughs) Fact checker. (laughs) No, if I can deliver one final pop culture reference, you know, to go back to Pacific Rim, you know, when when the kaiju, the big ass monsters are attacking you, don't be one of the screaming idiots on the ground, right? Be one of those people up in the robots doing something and fighting back. Yeah. See, see, fuck yeah, hell yeah. Right. I'll invest in robots. <laughs> you know what I you know what I liken it to? So I'm a big Superman nerd. On his home planet of Krypton, his dad, Jarrell, had been telling everybody in the committee, and he's like, guys, our planet is dying. It like if we do not figure something out, we're all doomed. And they're all like, Oh, you're wearing too much and you need to stop being such a fear monger. So what did he do? He sent his only son to Earth. Christchurch, I mean, uh, Superman, <laughs> and then Krypton explodes. I feel like we're at, sadly, the beginning of a Superman movie, which should excite me, but instead it scares the shit out of me. So I hope somebody starts listening to that son of a bitch. But we are the Superman, right? Uh, No. <laughs> we're the people. We're the people who's going to save this bitch. No, I think your kid is Superman. We're going to send his ass off to Mars while the rest of us explode. Marlon Brando style. We got a hot topic talking about the earth and how hot it is. But since we're on this hot topic, we might as well go ahead and talk about somebody who's got some hot music. And our musical highlight of this episode is Phil Colas of Airbloom. I reached out to this young man and, and he was excited and I'm beyond excited to have him featured on this episode. Got some great stuff. Phil Colas is a guitarist, keyboard player, and lyricist from the lower Michigan area. Uh, his music draws inspiration from New Age, alternative rock, uh, guitar, instrumental, and soundscape. 
I freaking love soundscapes. I usually like go to sleep to soundscapes. It just uh, it it chills me out for real. Seriously, that's a little little John Woods tidbit there. There's a progressive touch of ambiance to his music. You know, crossing several genres, but always remains grounded in the sound of the present day. That's what's so awesome about his stuff. His sixth song debut EP, Bright Nights, Light Years, is an embodiment of 2020 and the pandemic. Seriously, in sound and lyrics, and uh, it's available on all of major streaming platforms and services. So please check them out, airbloommusic.com, on Twitter, at airbloom underscore music, and Facebook, at airbloom music. you again to going there matt joe lejohn it was great being on your show i had so much fun doing it i hope the things i said made sense uh any corrections any criticisms any qualms please do drop me an email at hello at climactic.fm if you've got a great podcast out there you'd like either myself or any of the other amazing hosts on the climactic collective to be a guest on just drop us a line i'm sure we can set something up um, and Climactic has a guest booking form ourselves, so if you go to Climactic.fm and along that top banner, you can see, be a guest, question mark, fill out that little form so we have some idea about who you are, and you could be on Climactic or one of the other great shows. And with that, I'll leave you to it. Thanks again going there, and I'll see you all again soon. The Climactic Collective.